Thank you, Harold and John. All good? Turn to Daniel chapter 7, please. Daniel 7. Hannah's not here, is she? How old is Hannah going to be next Sunday? Oh, how old are you going to be? 13? Ah, very good. Three more years till your dad has to buy you a car. (laughs) Now he has the warning. He has less time for his son to buy him a car. Daniel chapter 7. Um, In case you see a very dangerous snow squall starting during the message, rest assured I will preach until it's over so that you don't have to drive in it. (laughs) And if I run out of gas, I know my brother Jonathan can compensate and come up and take over for me. Um, We're supposed to get a really bad snow squall um, at some point this morning. We've been studying Daniel, um, the book of Daniel, and it's been nice to see um, the indirect tie-in with the book of First Thessalonians on, on Wednesday night. Uh, we studied chapter 4, which has the thought <coughs> presented, the truth presented of the rapture. Um, and so there's some nice components of that that mixes well with our study in Daniel. Uh, Daniel 7 is probably one of the most um, pivotal um, chapters in understanding prophecy. Um, and, and the second part of Daniel that we're going to be looking at in the next several weeks is all prophetic. The first six chapters were mostly historical. There was obviously some prophetic things in it. But chapter 7 on in the book of Daniel is mostly prophetic about the Lord's um, how the Lord is going to deal with his people and with the nations of this earth. Um, in uh, one of the future chapters, Uh, We get to the 70 weeks, which is uh, pivotal in understanding dispensational teaching. So I encourage you to be reading ahead, uh, do some study on your own, ask questions if you don't understand what's being shared, um, because it really is key in understanding how the Lord is going to deal with the nations and with his people um, in a future date. It could be tomorrow. Um, We just sang, Lord, haste the day, right? It could be today that we hear the trump sound, that we go up to be with the Lord Jesus. It could be this group of people that escapes death and goes to be with the Lord forever. Or it could be tomorrow or the next day. Uh, But we know it will be happening, and so it's important to understand uh, the end times. I've asked Josiah and Ian to each read half of the chapter. Um, So, Josiah, I think you're first. If you would read through verse 14, and then Ian, if you would finish up. Daniel 7, uh, chapter 7, verse 1. In the first year of Belshazzar, king of Babylon, Daniel had a dream and visions of his head while on his bed. Then he wrote down the dream, telling the main facts. Daniel spoke, saying, I saw in my vision by night, and behold, the four winds of heaven were stirring up the great sea, and four great beasts came up from the sea, each different from the other. The first was like a lion, and had eagle's wings. I watched till its wings were plucked off, and it was lifted up from the earth, and made to stand on two feet like a man and a man's heart was given to it. And suddenly, another beast, a second, like a bear, it was raised up on one side, and had three ribs in its mouth between its teeth. And they said thus to it, Arise, devour much flesh. After this I looked, and there was another, like a leopard, which had on its back four wings of a bird. The beast also had four heads, and dominion was given to it. After this I saw in the night visions, and behold, a fourth beast, 
dreadful and terrible, exceedingly strong. It had huge iron teeth. It was devouring, breaking in pieces, and trampling the residue with its feet. It was different from all the beasts that were before it, and it had ten horns. I was considering the horns, and there was another horn, a little horn, coming up among them, before whom three of the first horns were plucked out by the roots. And there in this horn were eyes like the eyes of a man, and a mouth speaking pompous words. I watched till thrones were put in place, and the Ancient of Days was seated. His garment was white as snow, and the hair of his head was like pure wool. His throne was a fiery flame, its wheels a burning fire. A fiery stream issued and came forth from before him. A thousand thousands ministered to him. Ten thousand times ten thousand stood before him. The court was seated, and the books were opened. I watched then, because of the sound of the pompous words which the horn was speaking, I watched till the beast was slain, and its body destroyed, and given to the burning flame. As for the rest of the beasts, they had their dominion taken away, yet their lives were prolonged for a season and a time. I was watching in the night visions, and behold, one like the Son of Man coming with the clouds of heaven. He came to the Ancient of Days, and they brought him near before him. Then to him was given dominion, and glory, and a kingdom, that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away, and this kingdom, the one which shall not be destroyed. As for me, Daniel, my spirit was distressed within me, and the visions in my mind kept alarming me. I approached one of those who were standing by and began asking him the exact meaning of all this. So he told me and made known to me the interpretation of these things. These great beasts, which are four in number, are four kings who will arise from the earth. But the saints of the highest one will receive the kingdom and possess the kingdom forever for all ages to come. Then I desired to know the exact meaning of the fourth beast, which was different from all the others, exceedingly dreadful with its iron teeth and its claws of bronze, and which devoured, crushed, and trampled down the remainder with its feet, and the meaning of the ten horns that were on its head, and the other horn which came up. And before which three of them fell, namely, the horn, which had eyes and a mouth uttering great boasts, and which was larger in appearance than its associate. I kept looking, and that horn was waging war with the saints and overpowering them until the ancient of days came, when judgment was passed in favor of the saints of the highest one. And the time arrived when the saints took possession of the kingdom. Thus he said, the fourth beast will be a fourth kingdom on the earth, which will be different from all the other kingdoms, and will devour the whole earth, and tread it down and crush it. As for the ten horns, out of the kingdom ten kings will arise, and another will arise after them, and he will be different from the previous ones, and will subdue three kings. He will speak out against the Most High, and wear down the saints of the highest one. And he will intend to make alterations in times and in law, and will be given into his hand for a time, times, and half a time. But the court will sit for judgment, and his dominion will be taken away, annihilated, and destroyed forever. Then the, so the sovereignty, the dominion, and greatness of all the kingdoms under the whole heaven will be given to the people of the saints of the highest one. His kingdom will be an everlasting kingdom, and all dominions will serve and obey him. At this point, the revelation ended. As for me, Daniel, my thoughts were greatly alarming me, and my face grew pale, but I kept the matter to myself. Thank you, brothers. Appreciate it. So, um, 
clearly the how do we make this work? Uh, again. Am I pointing it up? Oh, there we go. Guess I point at the TV. I thought I pointed at that. No? Okay. Um, so, just a little bit of an introduction. The chapter is basically split into two or three parts, if you want. Uh, the first part is clearly um, about the four beasts, the vision that Daniel had about the four beasts. And then there is um, a section in there about the Ancient of Days, which is an important section, obviously. And then we have an interpretation in verses 15 through 28. Um, so as we look at this, the couple rules to follow when studying uh, the Word of God is you want to take that, you want to take things, the default position is you want to take things literally if they can be taken literally. You know, it, unless it makes no sense to take it literally, you want to take it literally. If it's part of a vision or a dream, there's an interpretation of it. You want to take the interpretation literally. It helps us understand the symbols that are in the dream. One of the things you don't want to try, you don't want to do, is just um, spiritualize everything or try to explain things in a non-literal fashion if that doesn't make sense or to try and make it fit our our thoughts so we're going to you know we're thankful for verses 15 through 28 because we don't have to wonder what the beasts are we don't have to wonder what things are we're going to see this unfold and the way i structured the um, powerpoint is that um, rather than going verse by verse the verses that help us interpret things we're going to look at alongside of it. And we're also going to back, jump back to chapter 2, because you'll recall in chapter 2, uh, we um, Nebuchadnezzar had a vision, had a vision about a statue or an idol, and there were four um, sections of the, of the idol, and those four sections pertain to kingdoms as well. And we're going to see how they relate to the four beasts that are in this particular vision um, as we go through this. So there's a parallel between them. Two different perspectives of the same events in history. Two different perspectives in the same event in history. If you remember from chapter 2, you'll recall that at the end of the vision, what took place? There was a stone that was not touched with hands that came down and crushed the idol, right? Crushed the statue. And in this vision... At the end, we're going to see the Ancient of Days, the Son of Man, and we're going to see that the four kingdoms are destroyed. So there's a similarity with that part of it as well. Again, two different perspectives of the same period of time. As I mentioned um, earlier, this is um, the first chapter in the second part of the book. So this is the first chapter that deals primarily with prophecy. Now, one of the things that's interesting, and I'm this is really not my area of expertise. <clears throat> I kind of get bored reading about history. Sorry, Brother Josh. But um, thankfully, there are others here that really like history, that know it. Um, history, to me, began with President Reagan and just moved on forward. The rest of it is I just it's irrelevant to me. Um, but this is where... <clears throat> There is some controversy over when the book of Daniel was written. Um, I, I did a Google search this morning. I typed in, when was Daniel written? The first four 
um, responses or prompts to my question was AD 150, AD 146, AD, not AD, BC 150, BC 146, BC 164. Finally, about the fifth one, it said BC 546, something like that. And we even get the time. Like it says, like this was written, like they, we, we, we know when these were written. And it says in the first year of Belshazzar, king of Babylon, we know when this dream took place. And yet, because of how accurate the prophecies are in the book of Daniel, Satan, using probably unwitting um, ser servants, argue that this book was written after all these events took place. And that the symbolism of the beasts don't line up exactly, and they, they force Greece in to be the fourth one rather than the third one. And the, our whole argument is, is that this couldn't have been true. Like, this couldn't have been written in, in the 6th century B.C. It had to be written in the 2nd century B.C. because of how accurate it is. <clears throat> There's plenty of dating in the book of Daniel. There's other, revelation, uh, other relationships between Daniel and other books in the Old Testament that support an old um, writing of the book of Daniel. Um, the Lord Jesus himself in the Gospels referred to some of these events in the future tense. So they had not happened when the Lord Jesus was here on earth. The book of Revelation speaks of things that are very similar to this in the future tense. So they hadn't happened yet. And so while there's a lot of controversy, quote unquote, over when this was written, by and large, the safest position to take is that this, was, that this vision happened in the first year of Belshazzar, because that's what the Bible says. Like, I don't think we have to argue over when it was written or, or try to defend the accuracy of all of this or explain away the accuracy of all of this. So this is the first chapter of the prophetic part of Daniel. Um, another key chapter is a couple uh, weeks away when we're going to study the 70 weeks. It's integral in understanding God's timing for the end times and how God deals with his people in a dispensational uh, manner. This is the last chapter written in Aramaic. So the rest of them then were written um, in Hebrew. Um, again, this is the events were yet to be fulfilled. It's a true prophecy. From this point in time that Daniel is having this vision, several things did take place, like historically have taken place. The Babylonian Empire uh, ceased. The Mede, the Mede and Persian Empire uh, succeeded it. That was then succeeded by Greece. It was then part... That was then partially, or was succeeded by the Roman Empire, who has faded into the background, but according to scripture, uh, for all intents and purposes, has not ceased and will be revived at some point. Um, and we can talk about, we'll talk about that down the road. So much of this has taken place historically. We can look back at history and know when Babylon, um, when Babylon uh, folded and Medo-Persian Empire took over, when the Greece, Greek Empire took over, and then when the Roman Empire took over. Uh, this is a 6th century prophetic book. Um, so it, just, it really goes to show how important it is to study uh, the Word of God, to question it, to make sure it lines up with other aspects of Scripture. And even, like, there are some um, commentators that I really, really like. Um, I, I love um, James Montgomery Boyce. I love reading his stuff. He's solid on the gospel. But he would 
he would twist himself into a pretzel to explain this portion of scripture because he doesn't believe in dispensational teaching. He's not, he doesn't believe in a tribulation, then millennial kingdom, then eternity. He doesn't believe in that order. And so there's a lot of twisting around um, things. Pink, A.W. Pink is another one that I really like reading. But again, they twist things because it doesn't make sense to them. The plain reading of this doesn't fit their framework. And so I think it's important that you, even if you're reading a good commentary, that you question things and uh, double check and have it um, related to other sections of scripture to make sure that it all makes sense for you. So let's look at the first couple, um, let's look at the first section of scripture. We're looking here at the four beasts. In verse 2 we read, I saw in my vision by night, and behold, the four winds of heaven were stirring up the great sea, and four great beasts came up out of the sea different from one another. So we have four beasts coming out of the sea. The sea often speaks of the world, of, of the peoples, if you will. So obviously it's coming up out of the, out of the nations of the world. Uh, the four winds of heaven, those various and sundry um, suggestions as to what that is. Um, I think four speaks of the world. If you think of north, south, east, west, like a totality of what's going on. Like this was a major event or major event for Daniel and you could clearly see that he was troubled is the word he used sometimes concerned um, interested and um, um, very similar as I said to the vision in chapter 2 um, I suggest the differences can be related to the vessels used by God in one case it's Nebuchadnezzar a Gentile king who God gave a dream to and it's really man's perspective of events, like man's perspective of events. And if you think about it, we, man thinks of things being, um, like promotes himself and thinks of things that he does as being brilliant and wonderful, right? You know, we build, we build monuments to ourselves, we build buildings to ourselves, we um, talk about things as being great that we've done. Uh, the idol clearly or the statue clearly was something that Nebuchadnezzar uh, dreamt of and it was impressive if you will here we see the four beasts and it's being delivered to us the visions being delivered to us by one of God's vessels uh, one of God's chosen people and I would suggest to you that this is God's perspective of how things are taking place a little more chaotic a little more destructive a little more satanic frankly, a little more spiritually driven um, along the way. So there are some important differences uh, between uh, the two visions. Here are the four beasts, if you can see them, the lion, the bear, the leopard, and the terrifying beasts with horns. Again, this is God's perspective. We don't have to guess as to what the beasts mean in chapter uh, 7, verse 17. We read these four great beasts are four kings. So what are the four beasts? They're four kings. We don't have to guess at what the four beasts are. We know for certain because the Bible tells us that they represent four kings. This re relates very closely to the um, figure of a man, the statue. You, we had the four kingdoms there, the gold, the silver, uh, the bronze, and the leg and feet of iron. Um, interestingly enough, it even speaks about the toes in talking about the, um, the statue, the figure of a man. And when looking at the fourth beast, we're told about the ten horns, 
10 toes, 10 horns, right? So there's some similarity associated with that. And so that we don't forget, there was that stone that came and crushed uh, the statue. And we're going to see that there's that same similar thought in this vision as well. So the first beast is a lion. It was like a lion had eagle's wings. And as Daniel looked, its wings were plucked off and it was lifted up from the ground and made to stand on two feet like a man. And the mind of a man uh, was given to it. So the, this likens itself to Babylon. Uh, we're going to see how it likens itself to the head of gold as well. Um, you can think of the eagle's wings being swift. Um, it standing up like a man. You can think about how Nebuchadnezzar went through that period of time where he was humbled by God for exalting himself. And then following his, his humility, following his repentance, he was restored, right? We can think about that and see that a little bit in this particular um, uh, beast, if you will, in this per particular perspective of a beast. A lion with eagle's wings that were plucked made to stand, given a heart of man, um, etc. Noah, could you advance it? Okay, thank you. So you can see here that it pertains to chapter 2, verse 37 and 38. You, O king, the king of kings, to whom the God of heaven has given the kingdom, the power, and the might, and the glory, and to whose and he has given wherever they dwell the children of man, the beasts of the field, and the birds of the heavens, making you rule over them all. You are the head of gold. So again, we see from the statue Babylon, uh, Nebuchadnezzar, who was ruling Babylon at that point, is the head of gold. And we can liken that with the first beast, beast the lion, uh, being Babylon as well. So we can go on to the second beast now, the bear. And behold, another beast, the second one like a bear, was raised up on one side. It had three ribs in its mouth between its teeth, and it was told, Arise, devour much flesh. So um, I would suggest, based on my studies, that the bear most likely um, pictures Media, Media Persia, the empire that followed uh, Babylon. This relates to that second part of the section as well. Um, a bear is far less graceful. Um, royal than a lion. The, the empire was not as regal as, as, um, as Bab the Babylonian empire, but it certainly was vicious. Um, it was not balanced. The, the Mede and Persian part of it wasn't necessarily balanced, and I think we see in the description of the bear that one side was higher than the other. And, uh, and there's differences of opinion. There's differences of opinion as to um, what the three ribs represent. Um, I, I tend to think it represents part of the Babylonian kingdom that was devoured when, um, when um, the Medes and the Persians took over from it. We see this, um, we see this referenced in um, parts of Daniel as well where we saw the uh, Mede, and Persian, uh, Mede and Persians invade Babylon as part of it. We can relate this back to chapter 2 and verse 39, the first part, and another kingdom inferior to you shall arise after you. So Nebuchadnezzar was told that you're the head of gold, but there's going to be another kingdom that follows you, and it's going to be inferior. So on the statue, it was silver, right? Like it was inferior to the gold. And here we see um, the second beast, a bear. I think you, 
If you think about temples and castles and yeah, temples and castles and places like that, if you're a king, what kind of statue do you put out in front of your place? You would have lions, right? Like, you know, they're royal. There's lions that were on Solomon's temple. There were lions. There's just lions are regal and royal. You don't normally put a statue of a bear, right? Like, you see a bear when you go to a campground. Like, you see a bear, like, carved out of wood when you go to a campground to remind you not to leave your fire burning. But it's not a royal figure, right? So this is inferior. It's, the bear is inferior to the lion. The silver is inferior to the gold. And the Medo-Persian Empire was inferior to um, the Babylonian Empire. The third empire is a leopard. Um, the leopard, this leopard had four wings, which would speak to us of it being swift. Um, it had four heads. And what we, what we recognize this leopard um, symbolizing is Greece, the, the, Grecian, the Greek Empire. And um, Alexander was very swift in conquering most of the world, but he died very young. I think he was like 30, wasn't he, Josh? Like 30 some. He died very young. And what happened when he died was the kingdom, the, the, the Greco kingdom, was... Um, divided into four parts. Four generals took over from Alexander. So we see the four heads of the, of the leopard um, indicating four parts that would eventually come from this or four directions of leadership. And the wings we can certainly un appreciate um, speaks to us of swiftness and the swiftness in which Alexander conquered um, the world. 22... Chapter 2, verse 39b, we read, And yet a third kingdom of bronze which shall rule over all the earth. So the gold was Babylon, the silver was the Medo-Persian Empire, the third was bronze, and it was the Greek Empire, again, ruling over all the earth. So lastly, what we get is this fourth beast, and it's not really described. This picture could be close. It looks like a rhinoceros with a bunch, or dinosaur, I guess. Um, it's not described. There's no, you can't go to the zoo and find this animal, right? Like you can go to the zoo and find a lion. You can go to the zoo and find a bear. You can go to the zoo and find um, a leopard. But you can't go to the zoo and find a terrifying beast with ten horns. You're, we're not going to be able to find something like this. So it was something different, and probably there's some significance to that. But let's read the description. Um, a fourth beast, terrifying and dreadful and exceedingly strong. So there's a comparison there. Like it's more, it's more dreadful, stronger than the other three. It had great iron teeth. It devoured and broke in pieces and stamped what was left with its feet. It was different from all the beasts that were before it, and it had ten horns. Uh, we're going to talk a little bit more about the horns, but this speaks of the Roman Empire, which followed Greece. And it was something, there's parts of this perspective, I, I think I have this reference a little bit out of um, whack, but in Matthew, the Lord Jesus is talking about the abomination of desolation, and that is part of what takes place, but after all this, like it wasn't something that happened prior to the Lord Jesus, it was something yet to have happened. There's going to be an ebb and flow of this, because the Roman Empire clearly not ruled from Italy at the moment, right? We're clearly not ruled from Italy, but most Western countries have aspects of what 
made the Roman Empire distinctive, like a rule of law and things like that. So there's remnants, if you will, of the Roman Empire that's still around, but it is not it is not completely disappeared, but it is clearly not still happening, right? It's clearly not still happening in the same way that it was back uh, when it first um, became reality. So we expect it to revive. We expect to see something like this still um, in history, in time, a fulfillment of it. In verse 23, as part of understanding this, we get um, part of the interpretation you'll recall from Daniel, the second part. Daniel was curious about all of this, and most people believe he asked an, that there was an angel there that helped him understand it. Um, we're not, I'm not sure who else would have been would fit that description, but he asked for help in understanding the, um, the vision. And so part of this is given to him in a distinctive, um, descriptive way. Um, the fourth kingdom will be the last kingdom of man, and it will be a devastatingly destructive kingdom. This is still to come. And it follows the rapture. The completion of it follows the rapture. So why do we believe, why would, it, why would we suggest that it's the last kingdom of man? Because if there was going to be another kingdom, there'd be another beast, I'd suggest. So the fact that there's only four, and this is the last, would seem to indicate to us that it's going to be the last. When we read about the Ancient of Days in a few minutes, we're going to understand what happens to these beasts. And there seems to be a finality behind it all. So... One of the things that, that I struggle with, and we all know some believers who have a different perspective on end times. And they're dear believers. Like I, I mentioned a couple of commentators that I really appreciate that have a, a firm grasp on the gospel of God according to his son. Just I disagree with their perspective on end times. And I think part of the challenge behind this in, underst in understanding their view of end times, where they believe that this stuff has already happened, that it's already happened, is that there's no evidence, there's no evidence to suggest that what Daniel has prophesied has actually taken place. There's just no evidence. There's no, as we get, as we, again, when we read about the destruction of it, if we look around, our world is not being ruled in righteousness, right? And there never was a period of time in, the, in past history where our rule, world was ruled in righteousness. It's been chaotic. Satan has had his way. And the world systems have been opposed to Christ. So there's no point in our history where we can look back and say, oh, yeah, the Roman Empire, the last man-dominated empire was destroyed, and now it's been ruled by Christ, or ruled by Christians even. There's no evidence of that. And so the conclusion, since there's no evidence, is that this still has to yet take place. That part of it has taken place, and part of it is yet to take place. And it, you'll recall that when the Lord Jesus talks about um, the day of the Lord or his coming back, the second time he comes back, it's usually bifurcated as well. It's not one day. It's, a, it's an event that begins with the rapture and ends with the, the, the end of the tribulation and the beginning of the millennial kingdom. It's considered, that's considered one event in most Old Testament prophecies. 
and so it's bifurcated and so it's not on it's not on it would not be unreasonable to assume that the Roman Empire has this parenthesis or bifurcation as well where part of it has manifested itself and been completed and yet there's a part still to come um, so it's just it's just something that I, I think you have to go through a lot of gymnast mental gymnastics to try and explain away the future aspects of this vision and what happens then you have to explain away a lot of revelation um, as as uh, not jiving with the rest of scripture as well so in, in chapter in verse 8 Daniel is especially concerned about the horns you'll recall that the four beasts it had four horns um, in verse 8 we read I considered the horns and behold there came up among them another horn a little one before which three of the first horns were plucked up by the roots and behold in this horn were eyes like the eye of, of eyes of a man and a mouth speaking great things when have we seen this take place when have we seen ten kings of which one uprooted three others and took over all ten when never ever yet right never ever yet <laughs> It's going to happen because we're, we're all the rest of Daniel's prophecy that happened prior to Christ has taken place. This is yet to happen, but it will happen. And it's always kind of interesting when we see the, you know, and, and anytime anything springs up in the Middle East, it causes us to think, could this be it? But nothing has to spring up in the Middle East for it to be it, right? It doesn't have to. Although after the rapture, one of the first events that take place after the rapture is the signing of a peace treaty, which is kind of interesting in that when there's war in the Middle East, there could be a peace treaty that follows, but we are not going to be here to see that. Like, it's not something we have to worry about. We're going to be with the Lord when that takes place. But one of the things that will be indicative, that will be helpful to the Jewish people that are left behind to understand what's taking place is there will be one that will rise up from among the ten that will destroy three and rule all of them. Like, that is going to take place. I think years ago, it's probably longer than we think now, but when the um, European Union was forming, I think we were all counting how many countries were going to be part of the European Union, and was there going to be ten, and was that going to be indicative of what was taking place? Um, we... Uh, Joking, re jokingly asked a brother recently who the three horns were, you know, and you could pick, like we would of course pick the three people, three countries we don't like, China, Russia, Iran, right? Like those could be the three horns, but it could very easily be Mexico, Canada, and the United States too. Like there's nothing that says it's going to be bad guys. It could be good guys, right? Um, good guys in the sense of our perspective of things. So this has not yet taken place. So if you believe that all of these events have taken place, as, as some Reformed the, uh, uh, believers would believe, I don't know how you explain the ten horns, the three being rooted out, and the one ruling. I don't know how you explain that without symbolizing it. And that's what happens when you can't, when you're not willing to allow God's time frame to unfold before you, what happens is then you're forced to symbolize or spiritualize what, what is meant to be taken literally in a future tense 
you're, you're, you're forced to spiritualize it to explain it away. And that causes problems then. It, there's an inconsistency in interpretation of scripture. And it also forces you to do things with the church and Israel that shouldn't be done when interpreting scripture. Um, as I mentioned earlier, in chapter 2 on the statue, there were toes, the feet were partly iron and clay, so the kingdom shall be partly strong and partly brittle. Just an interesting thing that there's the ten toes are pointed, of course there's ten toes. There are ten toes pointed out on the statue and there's ten horns. So again, a consistency between the two um, visions. In verses 21 and 22, and, and continuing to look at the horns, Daniel looked and saw that the horn made war with the saints. So as this happened, I mean, there was some times when Christians and Jews were persecuted, so we don't want to diminish that. Um, certainly not every empire, a lot of people, um, I think the, uh, I think I didn't write this down because I didn't want to be confused or confuse you, but I think there are some um, um, theologians that would share that the one horn is Antiochus Epiphanes, um, but clearly that it, it, it's not sufficient. Uh, what he did was not sufficient to relate to exactly what this um, is predicting. So there's going to be a horn and he's going to make war with the saints. That to me sounds a lot more like the beginning of the tribulation, doesn't it? It sounds a lot more like there's going to be a man and his target's going to be um, tribulation saints or God's, the Jewish people there. The, 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 the idea of who the saints are is a little hard to nail down but it clearly pertains to uh, the Lord's people at this particular time. And after this, we're going to look at this a little bit more in a few minutes. The Ancient of Days comes and the saints will possess the kingdom. How in history or when in history have the saints possessed the kingdoms of this world? Not, right? Like there's no evidence of a righteous rule at this point. Um... So here's a little bit more about the horns. Another shall rise after them. He shall be different from the former one and shall put down three kings. We were talking about this. He shall speak words against the Most High and shall wear out the saints of the Most High and shall think to change the times and the law and they shall be given into his hand for a time, times and a half a time. So a lot of commentators tend to believe that verse 24 um, is the first half of the tribulation, the first three and a half years. Um, and that verse 25 is the second half of the tribulation, the last three and a half years, um, depending on the severity of the, of the war and the persecution and what's going on there. Um, there's some relationship to Revelation 13 and Revelation 17. That's one of the nice things of looking at this as a, future, as a historical book written in the 6th century with future um, events to take place, rather than saying it's a second century BC forgery that are enforcing our understanding of it onto it. Um, so there's things in Revelation 13 and 17 that are very consistent with what is being prophesied in verses 24 and 25. So a real fun part about this chapter is in verses 9 through 14 where we get the Ancient of Days. So in verse 9 we read, As I looked, thrones were placed and the Ancient of Days took a seat his clothing was white as snow and the hair of his head like pure wool. His, thor his throne was uh, fiery flames. The wheels were burning fire. A stream of fire issued and came out from before him. A thousand thousand served him and ten thousand times ten thousand stood before him. The court sat in judgment and the books were open. 
if, if we weren't studying Daniel and we read this, we could very easily think it's coming from Revelation 1, Revelation 4, Revelation 5, um, any other chapter in the book of Revelation. We could very easily see this as part of what John saw in his Revelation in heaven. So the Ancient of Days, there are some arguments over whether it's the Son or the Father. I tend to believe that it's the Father um, because the Son is presented um, before him. But we see here um, that what follows the four kingdoms of man, or four kings of man, is going to be a different type of kingdom and a different type of ruler. So we see thrones here speaking of a kingdom. We see the Ancient of Days being described, and I believe firmly that it's God the Father. And we see that he's going to be sitting in judgment. Very, very consistent with what we understand to have uh, uh, to happen um, after the tribulation, after the millennium kingdom at the great white throne judgment. Very consistent with what is revealed to us in the book of Revelation. Also, what we're going to see is that it's consistent with the stone what the stone's role was in the, um, in the first dream given in chapter 2 and how it destroyed um, the statue. Let's look at verse 11. I looked then because of the sound of the great words that the horn was speaking. Remember, the horn was blaspheming, going to be blaspheming uh, the Lord and his people. And as I looked, the beast was killed and its body destroyed and if given over to be burned with fire, as for the rest of the beasts, their dominion was taken away, but their lives were prolonged for a season and a time. So the beast, the last kingdom of man, is destroyed and given over to be burned with fire. Has that happened? The answer is no. So it's a future event. You go, to, you go to Revelation 19, you go to the book of Revelation where we see judgment after judgment. What happens to the beast? He's thrown into the lake of fire, right? There, the, the, there's destruction of what is related to man in there. Verse 13 of, of this section. And behold, with the clouds of heaven there came one like the Son of Man, and he came to the Ancient of Days and was presented before him. This is why I think the Ancient of Days is God the Father. Um, the, um, I think when e, e, uh, Josiah read this, it said, Ace, the Son of Man. Unfortunately, the ESV says a son of man. I think it should be the. I think it's without a doubt speaking of the Lord Jesus is presented to God the Father. And we see this consistent in scripture, right? What's going to take place at the end is God's going to give to his son dominion over everything, right? We can go back to Psalm 2. You can go back to other Psalms where you can see what the, the prophecies are about the nations of the world and how they will be um, brought under dominion um, to the Lord Jesus. You can go to Revelation 19, verses 11 and 6, and see the same thing. There's a consistency with the revelation given to John um, and the revelation given in some of the Psalms as well. So God the Father gives to God the Son the kingdoms. He's given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and language to serve him. What do we often think about? Um, that every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess, right? Has that happened yet? No. So this is a future event. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away, and his kingdom one that shall not be destroyed. Again, I, I don't know how you read this and believe that we are after the millennial kingdom. 
or that won't, one won't take place. You have to do mental gymnastics to get to that point. A plain reading of this implies that there is going to be a kingdom ruled by Jesus Christ on this world. world. And after that kingdom, elsewhere it's described with a thousand years, we're going to enter into time, uh, in, into eternity, and his kingdom shall be forever and ever. Right? Like so that's, that's the plain reading of this and the plain understanding of this. Um, one of the in verse 18 we're told that the saints of the most high shall receive the kingdom Christ is ruling but what do we understand from the New Testament that those that are part of the body of Christ the bride of Christ will rule with him right will reign with him and we see that consistent in this particular vision as well um, so what's missing in looking at this section of scripture and I'm asking that sort of um, in an ironic way. So what's missing? What don't we see? Well, we don't see the church in any of this, right? We don't see the church in any of this. We don't see, we don't look back and see that there was a millennial kingdom or, I don't know, again, I don't know how you would get to that point, but we don't see that. And so what we have to conclude is that we can see in history that the Babylonian Empire came and went the Medo-Persian Empire came and went. The Great Greek Empire came and went. The Roman Empire has come, has been mitigated, but it has not been destroyed. There's remnants of it still, and clearly man is still ruling this world. Man is still ruling this world. So the coming, uh, so there's a consistency with this two-part perspective of it, and um, there's part of this that has not been fulfilled. It's futuristic, if you will. And finally... What a great way to end. Verses 26 and 27. But the court shall sit in judgment. The court speaking here of, of the Ancient of Days and the Son of Man. And his dominion, that's the beast dominion, shall be taken away to be consumed and destroyed to the end. And the kingdom and the dominion and the greatness of the kingdoms under the whole heaven shall be given to the people of the saints of the Most High. His kingdom, meaning the Son of Man's kingdom, shall be an everlasting kingdom, and all dominions shall serve and obey him. Clearly this hasn't happened, but it will. Amen? Like when we see this, you know, it's just, it's one of those things like sometimes you have a section of scripture that's really sort of down and depressing, and here we end with a thought about what God's timetable is and what God's plan is for all of this. All of the mess that we see, all the mess that we see in our culture, all the mess that we see in the Middle East, all the mess that we see in Eastern Europe, all of that, all of that will come to an end. And there will be a kingdom and dominion and greatness that will be ruled by Christ. We who have trusted in him will reign with him. We will be on his side, if you will as he judges the peoples of this world, and his kingdom shall be an everlasting kingdom, and dominions shall serve and obey him. Things will be brought to a right perspective. And so it helps us as we go through the day, when we see things, I, one, of the, one of the verses referred to how the beast will change the time and the law, right? Like, how can someone change the time and the law? Well, look at what people are doing today. Whatever is true is deemed to be false. Whatever is false is deemed to be true. You can't, there's no truth. 
you know, you can think of the, I guess, the most famous person or infamous person that recently talked about their truth was when the president of Harvard resigned. She spoke of her truth. There's only one truth. There's only one truth. And Christ is the way, the truth, and the life. And we hold the word of God in our hand, and this is true. Whether you believe it or not is irrelevant. It's true. This is what is truth. The world doesn't get to define truth. The world doesn't get to define right and wrong. And the little horn doesn't get to define times and laws. God will in the end. And it will all be brought together for his glory and honor. And those that are left behind, those that did not trust in Christ prior to the judgment, will be bending their knees anyway, and they will be serving and obeying him. Our Father, we're so very thankful for your Son. We're so very thankful that in the end you win, uh, that we need not worry about the mess that we see around us, but that we can glory in the fact or revel in the fact that you will set things correct, that you will put things right, that you will give your Son dominion over all the kingdoms of this world, that the kingdoms of man will be destroyed, that there will be a period of time even here on earth where Christ will rule with righteousness and that we will be ruling with him. We thank you for the promise of eternity as well. We thank you for uh, the promise of the rapture, that blessed hope that we have of looking forward to Christ returning to receive his bride and take her to be with him. And even for the dead that are in Christ to rise at that moment and be with him forever as well. We thank you for the Sunday school classes taking place downstairs. We pray that as they learn more about your son, that they would love him more and more. We thank you for the food that's been provided as well and ask that you would bless it to our bodies. In Christ's name, amen. <clears throat>